Welcome, everybody, to a special 50th episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast trade. This is your first episode, and not only that, but we are covering arguably the greatest game in NBA Finals history, Michael Jordan's last game as a Bull, Game 6, 98 Finals. First off, how are you doing? And second off, tell me about this game. All right. Um, well, to answer that first question, Dom, I'm doing just fine. You know, I'm, uh, I'm all moved in at Syracuse. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, looking forward to what's ahead. And the second question was about this game, right? You know, 1998 NBA Finals, Game 6, Bulls Jazz. I mean, what else can you ask for? I mean, come on. This is such a hostile environment in the great Salt Lake area. Um, Just everything was on the line. It's just simple as that, knowing that this series was the same thing a year before, Game 6, just everything was there. Um, Costas was calling the game. The, the vibe of Michael Jordan possibly playing his last game ever in the NBA was there. I mean, this was the last game of the Chicago Bulls, Dom. I mean, this was other. I mean, it was Gary Krause was was ready to just throw it all away. Yeah, so you brought up a good point. The historical context for this game is what baffles me the most because this is everything on the line. Looming, yeah. looming on a last dance season that featured ups and downs and the retirement question and MJ being fatigued, all that stuff. A rematch of the 97 finals, which was already great and featured a series of iconic games, especially games five and six. I mean, game five with the flu game, game six with the Steve Kerr shot at the free throw line. You have everything with, as you put it, after this season, that's it. Bulls go in tank mode until the Derrick Rose era and our MIA for like 11 years or 12 years. And most notably... It was the end of like a, an era for the 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 '90s in in the NBA was the Jordan era. It, it is yeah. no coincidence of that Absolutely. whatsoever. Absolutely, and the thing was, you know, it, it really, you know, you said it. I mean, in '91, Chicago won its first NBA title. I mean, it, it, what it what it took was a lot in the late '80s and 1990s. You know, the Bulls really had to work their way to taking down the big, bad Detroit business. And I mean, it, and they did, and it just, it set up such a great era. And it's, my thing with it is, it's just so unfortunate that they had to take it down. Cause if I, I really, I truly believe, and I really agree with what Michael Jordan said. They could have won a seventh. That's a, con- that's a conversation I've got for like, after we do the game, cause it's a big absolutely. one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's a- we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Yeah, this, there's a lot to talk about here, especially with this game in particular, because like as somebody who loves NBA history, what also fascinates me about this game is that this is arguably Jordan's best game, but statistically it's one of his like so, like mid-tier to subpar. And what's also fascinating is that you look at the surroundingness of this game, with this game six in particular, where if the Bulls lose this game, and we can have this conversation later, I don't think they win game seven. If you like... Scott, really? So, I, I mean, it's because, look, hear me out, Scottie Pippen's on a bad back... Okay. Ron Harper had the flu this game. If In game six, they announced it right before the start of the game. Rodman is at this point an alcoholic and is off the bench. Their entire team is old. Like, it is what Jordan is doing. Like, Jordan shoots 43 times this game, which is more than his entire team combined, and scores. Yeah. Not including 15 free, not including 15 free throw attempts. So it is like... In other words, he is on his last legs, like his one last performance. And even with his great, one of his greatest playoff things ever, it still takes, it still requires that layup, uh, steal, jump shot sequence at the final 40 seconds to steal this game. 
And yep. even then they squeaked it out. So it, it, it's a fascinating game with the context, with legacies on the line, Jordan r- winning his sixth title, not only with a second three-peat, but against an MVP in Carl Malone. That they, they, The league thought that Jordan was done. They thought the Bulls were done. I mean, there was arguments that they shouldn't even have made it to like the conference semis that year. Like It is insane watching this game with that whole thing looming in the background. Yep. And, and it's, I think the you have to... You have to think about the East Final. You know what did they, what did Chicago do to get to that point? You know the Bulls had to get through the Pacers at first. It was a very similar series. At an underrated Pacers team, which by the way makes the final, makes the conference finals. I think in '99, makes the NBA Finals in 2000, yes. and I think makes another, and then makes it again in 04, or has like a good team in 04, 05, Mouse of the Palace. So this is like a good, this is a good Pacers team here, like a good really? Pacers team. Absolutely, yeah. Just. It's fascinating, you know, just everything that went down into that game. But let's keep going. Let's 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 break this thing down now. Ready, man? So yeah. Let's go to- so, so the preface for this nine-day finals. Obviously, we said earlier rematch of '97. Bulls last dance season, blah, blah, blah. After everything, after all the injuries, after all the drama, they still win like 60 games. They make it all the way to the NBA Finals. They face off against Utah. Games one and two are super close. In fact, the margin of victory is a combined eight points for both teams. Jazz sneak off in game one. Bulls take it in game two. Game three is an absolute blowout. This is like the only blowout of the series. Yeah, then Utah score like... It was na- the, the score yeah. was 96 to 54 for the Bulls. Game four, Chicago wins at home. So they're up 3-1. Carl Malone in game five has an amazing performance. And more, more importantly, in game five, I was, you, if you're a Bulls fan, you were scared. Kukoc yep. scores 30 points on 11 of 13 shooting. Scotty goes two for 16 for six points. And Michael Jordan goes 28 points, but on nine of 26 shooting. And Michael Jordan played 45 minutes in game five. So already heading into this game with all the miles, plays 45 minutes before... And on the road game in Utah, which, by the way, if you want to add on this, but going into Utah in the mid-90s is like going into, like, a dogfight. Like, that arena is so going loud. In, going into, it's going into death valley. For, Sy- for Syracuse football, it's going into Death Valley. If it's the NFL, it's going into Seattle. It's going into Arrowhead. Either yeah. one. The Delta Center, which it, what was called at the time, um, very, very hostile. And everywhere you look around, you're seeing the vintage purple. You're seeing the vintage teal. You're seeing the white. You're seeing all the Utah Jazz colors that everyone drooled about in the 90s. There was hardly any Chicago black, any Chicago red in sight. And the other thing is, uh, Marv Albert points on this in the broadcast, you can't hear them at times. Like There are moments in this game where I'm like, I have to like replay like 30 seconds to figure out what the score is because they're saying the score on the broadcast like an audio because they don't have the scoreboard all the way down there all the time. And seriously, I'm like, what did, what just happened? Like, and you see like in the beginning, like uh, Phil Jackson has like the earplug. Steve Kerr is like covering his ears when they're doing like the intros like to the game. Like that was an environment. I think people are underrating. Like not only did Jordan do this amazing performance, but like in that arena with all of that on the line, it's incredible. 19,911 people. Who are drunk and from Utah and, and wild up as all hell. Like, that is, that is a trio right there. Absolutely pristine. It's, it's just amazing how the Bulls were able to do it just there and then. You know, I mean, Chicago, it was a, Chicago scored 16 points in the third quarter. I mean, it was lucky that Utah put up 17. Because here's the thing. If, if you're scoring 
16 and a quarter. There's no shots. You're going to, if you're going to win any basketball game, but the only way the Bulls were able to say it was because the Jazz matched it. You yeah. know, I mean, if, if Utah erupts, we're going to seven, Dom. We're going to seven. That's one thing that I'm glad you pointed out with this game. Very big picture is that this game was a game of runs because in terms of offense, it was miserable. Right. Like other than Jordan and Carl Malone, like the occasional coup coach layup, nobody was scoring on either team. And we we saw it with especially the first half. The first half, it was like. Sluggish, sluggish, Bulls go up seven, then Jazz go up seven, then back and forth, t- like two points, two points, three, two, two, three, like free throw, whatever. Then in game, and then in the third quarter, it just bogs the hell down where they combine for like 30 something points. It's like a dogfight. And yeah. then at the end, it's like back and forth and back and forth. Like, this was like a down to the wire, no team was up game. A funny stat that I'm, uh, which is interesting is that early in the first quarter, if we want to start with this game, the Bulls are up nine, and that was the largest lead for either team in this series. Chicago was up nine. You said nine. Chicago was up nine in the beginning of the first quarter, and that was the largest lead either team had minus the game three blowout. So in other words, like that was how close the series was. You know, it's funny because you mentioned – you're talking about Chicago was up nine in game six, right? Oh, yes. You want to know the score after one? The Jazz were up three. Exactly. They're up twenty five to twenty two. So I mean, you set you set it down. I mean, just game, just series of runs, game of runs. Really simple as that, and it's it's just be it, it's beyond me. It's it's beyond me. How I mean, that's basketball. It really is, but just emphasis with how many runs there were. So let's get into this game. So first off, I want to comment. On, I always love doing the commentators because it's kind of funny. So we got Syracuse legend Bob Costas on the call. Uh, yeah. what's up? I said yeah. Oh, but you know it's funny. So actually, you know that why Bob Costas on the call, right? Because uh, there was this whole I can't I don't know what the exact terminology was, but there was like some allegations against Marv Albert, which is why they put Bob really? Costas. On. Yeah, if you Google it, this is when Marv Albert had his weird thing, like in the late nineties. So that's why Bob Costas calls 98. It's why he calls, I think, 2000. Uh, He covers, like, four years there before they kind of go back to the the Marv Albert show. So just a little fun fact there. And it's also – and I think the one thing that stands out to me with Costas is I feel like he knew that team better. It was fitting for for Costas to call that game because if you backtrack to Bob Costas' broadcasting career, he starts out at WGN in Chicago. He's, call, he's calling games locally for the Chicago Bulls in the 80s when Michael Jordan came on as a rookie. It was fitting for Costas to start his, I guess, his rise into sportscasting with the greatest basketball player of all time starting it. And then Costas, and then Costas getting to call Michael Jordan's last game as a Bull. It just had that good feel to it. It had that feel where you're like, yeah, we – we can win this game, you know. It, it just it just brings you as a fan. It, it gives you it gives you some sort of vibe. That's something that I always get with when I watch with my teams. I get some sort of vibe. Normally bad, but you know you get the point, right? It, yeah. It's, no, it's when there. when you're rewatching this game, Bob Costas like it narrates it like perfectly a thousand percent, which is funny then because the other two commentators are Isaiah Thomas, like Pistons Isaiah Thomas. Oh. Which doesn't age well at all because of the uh, like bad boy era, because oh. he eventually he has a horrible coaching career in like New York and Indiana. It's like yeah, he didn't get selected in '92. Yeah, the know, dream team thing, Jordan. You know, there's that <laughs> as well. 
So, and the more fun fact is that he's covering Jordan's last Bulls game, even though the uh, walk-off in 91 happened seven years before, which I think is even more fun. It's even, and then they have Doug Collins and Doug Collins is the former coach before Phil Jackson. So they've got this Collins Thomas, uh, uh, (laughs) tree or duo with Bob Costas. It's a, it's a, it's a cast of characters to say the least. It is. It's, it's really, for me, that's just... It's funny as hell. <laughs> perfect, that's a perfect group you can put together. You know, there's a lot of really good, really good um, groups out there, whether it's, um, I mean, with play-by-play, one-color guy, two-color guys. That may have been one of the better tandems that we have seen in in just in a while. I mean, it was funny. It was on, the, it was on, it was on NBC. We haven't really seen the best i mean i mean there there are some really good ones but nothing stands out like collins thomas costas so before we get on with the actual game one more question for you what is one thing after you rewatch this game that stood out to you cuz like obviously i this yes. is my this is my favorite game ever i've seen it a couple times it's my go to like this is why you should watch the nba right here if you have to make if you have to pick one game in the arsenal of all time classics to tell a random average nba fan you pick this one a million percent so um, give the case give the case <laughs> um i mean just go to the last 10 seconds. Literally, just go to the last 10 seconds. You want to talk about greatness right there? I mean, obviously, you need a little bit of backstory before the shot, but just the reason why you should even, like, get into basketball was because of this game. It was because of what Michael Jordan was able to do in the last sequence. I mean, I, I have Costas' call pulled up, you know, Jordan – Gets the layup. He, he, he's able to drive into the right side of the basket, drops it in off the backboard. And then next thing you know, they double up Carl Malone because you know, you know they're going to go with Malone. They're, they're not going to go with Howard Isley or uh, Chris Morris? Nope. Nope. Stockton <laughs> went down. I believe it was Stockton that took it up. Gives it down to Malone. He's going he's gonna to finish this game. He's going to press down into the paint, put it up and in. But Michael Jordan, who, like I just said, laid it up and in for 43, swats it, does it all by himself, and is able to just take it from there. You know, I mean, he really, if you know the story about um, Jordan and Byron Russell, when, I don't know if you watched The Last Dance, you had to watch The Last Dance. Oh, that's, we did two podcasts on this, on the on the pod here, talking about The Last Dance, because the anniversary was a couple months ago, so yeah, we had a full-blown thing on it. It was fascinating. It's really been a year and then some with that documentary, but the Jordan and Russell had a great rivalry and it just, and it ended right there with that shot. You just have to walk something I always do. And I, um, I, if I want to describe this, like get some of the basketball, I show them, I would show them a video that I watch every morning. I turn it on. It's the last four minutes of game six. It's the last four minutes of this game. Just Stockton's three. It's there. Then Jordan going off. It, 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 it's it's titled in my in my MacBook as greatness. I just watch it every morning. I go on my day. I'm ready to run through a brick wall. I show you that. It makes you want to pick up a basketball and do the same thing, Michael Jordan. That's the thing that that you mentioned that I think stands out with this game. There's a, there's an aura of like 
holy crap, this just happened. Like, and there's yeah. been crazier moments, like in, uh, like T-Max 13 points in 33 seconds, Reggie Miller's game one, Stunner in the Madison Square Garden, the eight points in nine seconds. But in terms of this, with the magnitude, with the shots Michael Jordan is hitting, and then any on that note, where he is doing everything by himself in the last 45 seconds, you 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 describe that feeling the best. It's like there's no apex better for a NBA player than that moment. Nope, there's not. I mean this this was this was legit the last dance of the last dance. So let's let's get to, let's get to the game here. So uh, first play is the biggest play probably of the game besides the steal layup jump shot sequence. Like immediately they run a set. Scottie Pippen goes for the dunk, gets the dunk, and back gone. Like his back is like cooked to hell. Go like, what can you describe like that play? Because obviously you see Scottie Pippen like wincing up and down the court. Yeah. And now he's basically out of commission as like decoy on offense for the rest of this game, and that really hurt the Bulls. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it it's it thought you would think that. Um. With a play like that, it would just suck the energy out of the Delta Center. It didn't because of what happened after that dunk. You know, Pippen went in and tried to, and, and it just went in with the jam. You know, it was basically, come on, Slim, welcome to the jam, knowing Space Jam came out a couple <laughs> of years before this, um, this move, this, uh, this game. And um, it's just really. Yeah, it just it's, it, you would think it would suck the energy out of the Delta Center. It really sucked the energy out of the Bulls, knowing that it was Jordan and Pippen for so long. Now Michael Jordan's going to have to do the unbelievable and prove it by himself. It's like it's like Tom and Bill in the NFL. You know, Brady leaves, or, or one, one guy goes, one guy goes down, or one guy goes out. The other has to basically prove himself. Michael Jordan did that. Because Pippen is just out of commission. He, he only had eight, he only had eight points. Yeah, he, he played played six minutes. Well, the other the other thing, real quick, is that he he goes up for the dunk, and the rest of the game he's like standing up straight. Like if you watch the game again, yeah. he's like not bad. Like they literally say on the broadcast, like if you have a bad back, the the symptom number one is that they don't bend their knees if you're a basketball player. So he's like standing up straight. There's this weird play like in the third quarter or fourth quarter where Pippen goes for a screen and falls down and is like taking 10 minutes to get back up. Like literally you're seeing him like put one hand down, put the other hand down, bend one leg. And it was so f- – yeah. it's it's funny watching it's, perspective. It's funny because, like, you know, yeah. we talk about how – I hope I didn't lose you there, Dom. You're frozen on my screen. I'm cho- I'm, I'm chilling right now. You're good. You're there. Okay. <laughs> right. but, like, it's it, it's fascinating how basketball this – was, this was such a – just a long game in general because, I mean, with all the timeouts and everything late in the fourth and then – Pippen having to deal with that back injury as the game is going along, all those pauses. It, yeah, you just, want, you just wanted it to. You, you wanted to see the end. Yeah, like, g- you, game. It felt, like, it felt like the Lord of the Rings. It's <laughs> taking so long for what you want to see, but it's just battles and battles and battles, and those battles was Pippen with his back the entire way into the fourth quarter. Well, and as you bring up, so especially quarter number three, where it's like. They combine to score like 30 something points. That quarter takes like an hour long. Like that quarter alone, it's like the the first half is quick. Like there's little fouls, like layups, 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 like few timeouts. Just keep chugging along, simple as that. The, the third quarter is like a marathon. Like that third quarter, like as long as as long as the rest of the game. It was it's crazy to rewatch too. And as you point out, 
fatigue starts to wear in toward the middle of this game. Like, Pippen plays the first part of the quarter, leaves, and doesn't come back until the, thir- the start of the third. So he's gone after, like, six minutes. And it's funny because it, we'll talk about this later, but P- the Bulls are so much better even with decoy Scotty on the court. Like, just Scotty just being on the court as playmaker, as just, like, body in the paint, just something is better than no Scott Because they were playing Scott Burrell. They had some Bill Weddington for, like, four minutes. They had some... Oh, uh, Bill What's the what's the what's the other white guy's name? Um, oh my god, uh, uh, Judd Bushler. They had like Judd Bushler out there, like yeah. with some uh, spot minutes. They it was already Scotty with a halfback was better than the Judd Bushler Scott Burrell whatever the hell combo was going on out there. Amazing, amazing. So next next point in this game I think is good is that we see that MJ early on is like pretty good. Like he hits like a three pointer. Uh, like a couple quick layups, like drives inside. All by the way, every fadeaway he hits is like over, like contested. Like every two pointer that's not a layup is like over three people or like yeah. behind the basket. It's just hilarious to watch him. Right, that's how good. That's just how good he was. You know, he was able to make. He was able to create so much presence. You know, and dominate. Well, even with and even with a bunch of non offensive players on the line, think about it, he's he's in these lineups with. Outside of Kukos, there's nobody else the Jazz are fearing to shoot. Especially because Scotty can't literally throw the ball up unless it's a hook shot. Rodman's a nothing. All their bench guys are nothing. Steve Kerr doesn't even shoot this game at all. He takes zero shots. He plays 24 minutes and just stands in the corner or stands at the top of the key. Unreal. So it's just MJ and Kukoc, and that's basically it. And Scotty with the halfback. So in terms of offense, like this is impressive on MJ's part, is that he's not only doing this, but with what, two and a half offensive players like sideline with him? It's like pretty crazy. It's pretty unreal, that's for sure. I mean, it's it's kind of like a three on two, you know. I mean, I, I mean, for Utah, we we got to think about Utah. It only had Malone, Stockton, Carl Malone was the MVP this year. I mean, it, the, the, year, the, the well, the year before, but this season he's top five again. But he he was a former MVP. So oh, yeah. he was MVP ninety seven. Yeah, yeah. Who was that? Jordan was ninety eight. Jordan was ninety eight. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. That makes the sense. balance was restored in 98 when he won again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I missed up my dates. I mean, this is what happens when you get, when you get these two once again, but it's just, wow. It's, I mean, it, it's, it was really Goliaths versus Goliaths. I mean, like I mentioned, it was Malone and Stockton who were getting it done. I mean, mainly Malone though. He led. Malone was cooking this game. Malone was cooking. He led Utah in points. Rebounds and assists. Which, which, Thirty-one and eleven, and then seven assists. It's just. I want to. I want to save the Malone. I want to save the Malone debate for now because I have a theory that I think like. I I want to get into Malone a bit. Like we're gonna save Malone for now because I've got a rant on Malone like um, like later in this pod. You can do it. Oh. So let's move on to the, the the other component that's cool of this game. Dennis Rodman's on the bench to start this game. Dennis Rodman plays 39 minutes but starts on the bench for Chicago, which I think is fascinating because he's super important in this game. Like, people forget that Luke Longley's in foul trouble, and even then he wasn't doing much. And Rodman, like, he does decent on Carl Malone. He has a couple key shots. Like, Rodman's an X factor in this game with Scotty going down. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's just it, – it's it was basically next man up with Scotty Pippen, who was going to really find the best way to contribute to Jordan's 45. I mean, you can argue that Jordan was next man up, even though he is the man. But, I mean, basketball is really, it's, it's a team sport, you know. And, and I think when Pippen went down, Kukoc really 
came in the clutch. And it's so funny with Kukos because he, they were talking about how great he was at 92. Where did he come from again? Serbia? He, he's Serbian. It, yeah, it, it's one of those Eastern European countries. Like, uh, Is it Croatia it maybe or Serbia? It's one of those Cro- it was Croatia. 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 Okay, okay. It was Croatia. And um, just talking about how good he had – quote-unquote good he was and and then next thing you know he's he's the one helping out michael jordan after getting his butt kicked in six years before so it's just it it, it was really next man up for the chicago bulls you know running on fumes as bob costas said it so bulls go up 17-9 at one point that's their largest lead of this game like minus one so they're basically this is at the point where they lead the most around this yeah. but scotty goes down so they they call uh, jazz call timeout scotty leaves the game total turnaround as you point out jazz go up by the end of the first quarter michael jordan is playing with do you, do you want to guess the four people that michael jordan had by the end of the first quarter in his lineup because it is a squad or i can just give you the names yeah. too. it's it's hilarious um, let's go <laughs> Weddington. He was in there. That was that was the Weddington uh, heat check. Weddington <laughs> was Weddington was in right. So I'm one for one. <laughs> uh, Tony Kukoc. No, no, it, it gets worse. It gets worse. Wow, it gets worse. Okay, well, knowing we talked about Steve Kerr was zero, I'm gonna go with Kerr. Steve Kerr was in there. Um. <laughs> oh gosh. It is a squad. Oh man. So I, I was right with Kerr. Yeah, you're, so Kerr and Weddington were in, MJ's in. Robin, okay. we already talked about, he was already in. So the last guy was, I'll just give it to you now, Scott Burrell. So really? the, the Bulls were running MJ, Rodman, Scott Burrell, Steve Kerr, and Weddington for, for the, the end of the first quarter lineup. That was that was a squad right there. <laughs> Holy Nikes. Yeah, Holy Nikes. So, <laughs> sorry, it's just funny. So fun, fun fact I thought was interesting coaching-wise. At the start of the second quarter, I didn't know this until they said it on the broadcast, but to begin quarter number two, Tony Kukoc is the only starter on the court for both teams. At the start of the second quarter, there's no Carl Malone and no Stockton. There's no MJ Rodman or no MJ Scotty Harper, any of those guys for the Bulls. Only Kukoc is the start, which is interesting because if you're Utah, why? I, this is one of the things that I don't think aged well with this game is the the coaching of I forget the. Uh, the guy, the guy's name again, but the Jazz coach, Jerry Sloan. Sloan. Thank you. Why didn't you play at least like a starter or two out there when, especially Stockton? Because Stockton only plays like thirty-two minutes. Why don't you play Stockton when there's nobody on the Bulls that can cover him? Because like that's an opportunity to go up like ten points right there. You got no MJ and you've got no offensive creation outside of Kukoc on Chicago's side. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating too. I mean, even though Utah put up more than Chicago in the second. You know, Jazz had 24, and Bulls had 23. They were leading by four going into the break, but you put one of those guys in, this game erupts. It's it's really just simple as that. All you mean, Stockton, 32 minutes. That's a, gotta, that's that's a number that shocks me still, is that he only played 32. Put, you've got to put all the cards into the table for game six because you know – that the Bulls are running are, are just fuming to the finish line and they don't have the and keep in mind Chicago doesn't have the advantage either. It has to stay in Utah and play game and play game seven in the Delta Center if Stockton gets more minutes. I mean if he's if you have you can think about that a lot, but you have but when you when you bring that into the equation, 
what does Phil Jackson do? Does Phil Jackson bring in more of his guy, more of his main guys when Stockton goes in? And then maybe it's just an absolute dogfight. These guys are even on more fumes than we than we've seen. But I I, I do agree. You know, it's, if, if you put in one of those guys for Utah, it can get even worse. It really can. Another, a key moment from this game. This is a, a game-changing play. This is part one of two. Jazz are up 20. You're losing me for some reason. I don't, know, I don't know if that's me or if that's you. It's, it, it's, it's honestly me. We're running on uh, we're running on fumes on this end, similar to how the Jazz and yeah, Bulls are running. <laughs> so, you good now? I'm all, all right, set. Awesome. So, a key moment from this game that I think it's part one of two of key moment is Jazz are up by four. They're up 28-24. Howard Isley shoots a three with no sec- like one second left on the shot clock, and they wave it, if you remember that on the broadcast, and gets it off with like plenty of time, and the refs wave the three-pointer. And this is huge, because then, if to fast forward to the fourth quarter, Ron Harper shoots, remember that fadeaway, like the, the one-legged fadeaway with like no time left that was should have been yeah. a shot clock violation? That's a five-point swing right there. So this is big for the Jazz, because they've got no starters at the second quarter. They could go up more. A three-pointer that, that could have put them up seven gets waved. And then it haunts them with the Harper shot that shouldn't have counted, but ended up counting. This is like a like a, what, like a double-digit swing easily right here for the Jazz. Like, this is crazy. It's, it's, it's amazing how that can, it can just change that quickly. You know, I don't know if they had replay review. They did it. At that time, it was just a different time. They, they didn't do like the... Replay wasn't a big deal back then, so it and it was. I actually got that off with like a second off too. Like there was like plenty of time. Like if in the moment you could tell that like he got it off, but it was a different era. It was, I mean, and that's, and we could bring this game into into now, and we could think about do they? It's just different, you know. Do coaches? There will Jack would Jackson use a challenge there? Would would George would uh, George Carl use a challenge there? You know, it's just. So many questions that that could be answered, and it's just and it still gives you fits, knowing it's knowing it wasn't like that in '98 with um with how big and especially with how big of a swing it was. Yeah, and it's a crucial one because like this jazz position is horrible. It's like Howard Isley dribbles it, Steve Kerr like taps it, and he's at like half court and just shoots this like thirty five like. And it swishes right in. Like, that's a killer. And, and underrated thing that we didn't mention yet. Jerry Sloan gets a technical foul in the first quarter. Right. Which is huge because then when this happens, he can't argue because he can't get ejected. So exactly. he could have at least, like, yelled at the ref and at least, like, done something. But instead, he's just sitting there like, there's nothing we can do. Like, they just missed they just missed they that call. It, it's, 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 it's unfortunate. Yeah. It, it's That's a very good point. Very good point. You know, it's just... Unfortunate. That's the way to describe it, right? So let's move on. To, so halftime, it's 49-45 Utah. Remember, Jordan, I think, it's a great game. Malone has like 20 points, and I think Jordan's at 22. It's around that range, but they're both at the 20 marker. So we go to the third quarter, and then this is where things change. So Chicago, again, is up 49-45, or down 49-45, Malone and Jordan going off. And to emphasize, Scottie Pippen hasn't played yet. So you remember that, but Scottie Pippen's been MIA this whole time. They're running the Scott Burrell, Bill Weddington, play extra Ron Harper, Judd Bushler, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Key moment from the third quarter, though, is that the Bulls get in foul trouble early. Remember, they get like four fouls, and there's like nine minutes still left to go. Like, it's an absolute, like, cluster F. Outside of MJ, there's no offense whatsoever. Like, it's like the lucky Ron Harper layup. It's the Scottie Pippen little hook shot. It's all these sorts of things. 
Um, I think what's fascinating about this quarter, though, is that, as you mentioned, it, we, we mentioned it earlier, it's like a slug fight. Like, literally, it's... They combine for bare, under 40 points, both teams. Everybody shoots horribly. It's just a back and forth and back and forth. Like, one team scores, one team scores. Then it's just this constant pressure of, like, nobody's getting their shots up. Um... A lot of miscommunications on defense on both sides of the ball. Like this, really is a dogfight of the game. I think this is the point where like the game really, really starts. Yeah, uh, this this is where it's game on. You know, going in the second half is just so crucial. I mean, it's it's and that's really just how basketball is too. You know, the the what you do in the final moments defines what the game was, and and knowing the events that that led to that just made this even greater simple just simple as that i i, I just can't get over the fact of how great the game was yeah, it, it's shocking indeed so then uh my favorite quote from this commentator goes uh they put chris morris in the game uh, legendary utah bench player chris morris and and the commentator goes i wouldn't rely too much on chris morris if i were utah <laughs> yeah i mean it is it's unreal. These are very top-heavy teams. Yeah. Oh, that they're. they're well, it's more like they're top, and that's about it. There is no. There's no bottom. <laughs> no. No. What there really was not. <laughs> uh, fun thing here. Uh, also in the third quarter, two things. Pippen leaves again with like four minutes to go, and then there's that Rodman Malone tripping thing. Remember that? Like they run up the court, and they trip on each other, and like they're like just being stupid with each other, and. Yep. It, What's funny is that they go to wrestle at, like, some WrestleMania thing, like, in 99, like, later. Or it's either the 98 offseason or it's the 99 during the lockout. But it's – that is – that Rodman Malone, like, shenanigans, it's hysterical in this game. It's, like – it's a total mood killer from the, uh, from you know, the competitiveness, MJ's kicking yeah. ass type of thing, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, no, very good point. They, um, uh, that was such a good, like, matchup to watch, too, Rodman and Malone down low you know it was uh it was russell it, it was it was russell and jordan you know stockton was doing his thing at the, time, at, uh, the one as well and the matchups are really really it's what makes this game sexy I yes that. so let's get to the fourth quarter this is where the real game starts this is game where the, this is where the real game starts here bulls start uh I think down. Oh no, the uh, Bulls are down five here. So remember, there's like that layup with like point one to go. So Bulls are down five here. Utah's up sixty six sixty one. MJ, this is where he goes off. MJ scores forty five points at the end of this game. Sixteen of them are in the fourth quarter. So MJ scores sixteen of his points in the fourth, which is miraculous. The key turning point number one. Utah's up sixty eight sixty five. They have all the momentum going on them right now. MJ's like shooting some shots and they're falling short. Do you remember the Rodman shot, the 20-footer, where Rodman's, like, at the top of the key and just, like, stands there for three seconds and then just, like, chucks the ball and just swishes right in and to put him only down one? That Rodman shot's, like, another backbreaker for Utah. Like, you do all this defensive stuff, and then Rodman shoots this 20-footer right over you. (laughs) Yeah, the guy who never shoots the basketball. Literally on the floor for rebounds, defensively and offensively doing the same thing but putting them back up and in. Like tip like shots, that, like that. yeah. That, it, it's, it, it it just sucks the excuse me momentum out of you. Well, I it, mean, that's really, what it was, especially when like he puts his hands up at the end and is like, I I I can't even complain. Like, what was that? Like, there's no that was just luck. <laughs> yeah, just screw it. I mean, just throw in whatever whatever we can throw in, and 
just keep adding it to the pot because I mean Chicago was trailing for most of this game. You look at you look at the quarter by quarter score, the box score that is, and we mentioned it. Bulls are losing by five going into it. Just gotta take what you can give. You just gotta keep chipping away. And it was fortunate for Chicago to have a shot like that. Save you. Save your season. (laughs) So, before we get to the steel layup jump shot sequence, the Stockton three, the last couple plays. The last, yeah, the the, the greatest four minutes of basketball. Yeah. The the one key moments, the, the, the Harper shot again. So, Harper, Bulls have no offense whatsoever. Harper catches the ball at the top of the key, dribbles right, and shoots this, like, 19-footer over another defender, one-legged, with the shot clock already off. It, it should be a shot clock violation and just swishes it in. Yep. So Utah, instead, of, and this is huge for Utah, because minus the Howard Isley missed three, now you get a shot clock violation that doesn't go your way on this end. And Utah, instead of having being up to with the ball, is now tie game, which is a, it's a yeah, huge... It, like, I feel like Utah, the story of this game is just momentum killer. Like, this is a winnable game, and, like, the basketball gods just would not let it happen. No, no, they really would not. I mean, there was there was that Rod, the, that Rodman. It was a three-pointer for Rodman, right? It was a long two, but it was, like, this 20. Long two. It was a 21-footer. It was, like, easily 21 yeah. feet. Rodman um, makes that shot. Harper gets robbed. You said, Tom, there was no – there's just no way Utah was going to get it easily. Well, and then the other play, all the Scottie Pippen shots, like the remember, like those ugly hook shots, and like that fadeaway where like he's not even he's just throwing the ball in. It's not even a jump yeah. shot; it's like a push because he can't use his back. Which it, that right. is it, like he looks, he looks like kind of looks like Larry Bird, but without the bend. Because Larry Bird, all he would do is just throw it. <laughs> I'm being serious. He did, he yeah. Really, he would do it. He would shoot his shot as as he was pretending like throw a ball into a basket. That's all Pippen could do. You couldn't actually, you know, bend your knees, flick your wrist, get into a shot. He had to throw it. He, it was simple as that. You know, just based what a, what a uncoordinated basketball player does, Pippen had to do because the cards were stacked against him, like we mentioned at the start of the game, at, like at the very start of the game. Yeah, and especially it's every shot he shoots, it rattles. Like it's either rattling in or rattling out, but there's no yeah. swish. There's no follow through. It's just like it's the ugliest you're eight either, points. You're either going to get lucky or you're going to get unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get to my favorite part, my favorite three plays ever, besides maybe the steal shot or the, the block shot stop with Cleveland. It's this jump shot layup. Uh, or jump shot, what is it, layup, uh, layup still jump shot sequence. So it, yeah, so it starts with Malone going to Stockton, something we don't see as much. You know, if, if Stockton's going to if Stockton's gonna score, he's going to get it from somebody else, never from Malone, because normally it was Stockton to Malone, flip the switch, the three was there, in the words of Bob Costas, Stockton hits it, and basically it's on go mode for Michael Jordan, because... Gosh, I, I think Chicago was yeah, Chicago is down three. They're down eighty six they're down eighty six eighty three. Um yeah, after yeah. after that three pointer from Stockton. Um and but even before that Chicago had to fight its way back. I, I believe I believe Jordan put up a put up a free throw to tie it up and then Stockton hits the three. And you just think, oh boy, because there are I there about forty seconds on the clock or something like that, and Jordan just has to go to work. And like we mentioned at the start, went to his right side on Russell, 
Russell's weak side to the left, throws it up off the glass, it pops in, gives you momentum. And then something that was then you take it onto the other side for Utah. Something well, to, that to, to stop to, to stop you real quick, to stop you one thing that I think Yeah, is, go ahead. No, what I found fascinating about the layup, which I think is important, is that the Bulls decide to not go for three. They realize they have they have forty seconds left outside of Malone and the occasional Stockton jump shot. There's no offense from Utah. So their idea was go for a quick layup. And what I like I think what's more impressive about Jordan isn't the layup over like two people. It's the layup and doing it in four seconds. Like, think about it. There was 43 seconds on the shot on the game clock, and by the end of the game, there's 38 seconds after that play. So, in other words, yeah. they get a, a basket, they only spare five seconds, and they could still get a stop on defense, and then that's where you want to take it away with the that next play, the, the Jordan steal. Right, yeah. You know, Malone was just eating Chicago down low. You know, there was really no such thing as good matchups, even with a double team, with what Chicago had at the time. Wasn't going to be it. But so, and then, but at the end, it was Rodman on Malone. And then Jordan, I believe, was on Stockton. So, so here's what happened. Here's the play Stockton brings up the ball. Stockton gets yep. the horn a sec. And this is in the last dance. This is a key play. Hornacek goes to Malone, and usually on the play, Hornacek clears out to the opposite side, to the corner, so it's just going to be a one-on-one. Jordan's on Hornacek, and Jordan's supposed to do a hook route to follow Hornacek, and instead of doing that, he goes for the double team straight on. Right. And just kind you've of, got nothing else to do. You've got to risk it. And Michael Jordan did just that. It left Malone on the floor. It was a clean steal. You could hear the ball all the way from the top of the Delta Center. It was It was – a picture-perfect play in a picture-perfect time when you needed it. You, just, you got it done, and then you just took it from there. You know, everyone everyone talks about that last shot being a push-off. So wait, let's have that in a minute because I I think what's also what's also what's also fascinating is that with that play is that you can as you point out, literally Jordan just gets like a tennis racket. He goes like boom, and like you can hear the ball like with the broadcast, just how loud it was. And do you remember the last dance where Rodman's like, I see Jordan get the ball, and I'm like, I'm getting the f out of the way. I'm getting the fuck out of the way. Like I'm not, I'm not a, I'm yeah. It's Michael Jordan's time. And as you point out, if you want to take it away with this last shot, it is it's an incredible shot. It's just magical. It is like out of a movie. It's no, it is out of a movie, basically. You know, he took it from there. Everyone talks about if it was a push off or if it was not. It wasn't. I don't think it was either. I don't think it was. And I think, and isn't that legal, anyways, to try and to try and create space? I don't, I don't know, but I don't think it was a push. Russell was going that way, anyways. Um, he he had. He had Russell toasted with that move. That's that's just one of Michael Jordan's signature moves. Being able to step back, step back like that, hit a mid range, switch, you know switch it. You know you're a good basketball player when you can hit a very clean mid range shot and control your shooting. Michael Jordan did that with even with all the moves that he did to go to go back by the elbow, by the left elbow, and just drain the shot. You know, it's just the. The picture still stands in my mind with Jordan defeating, making his last defeat basically on a guy that pissed him off for the tail end of his career. Not only that, but really got him in, got him back into basketball when, when um, I remember it was in '95 
when jo- when Jordan was was that was during his off season with the Birmingham Barons, which was the Double A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox, and he goes up to the Bulls facility and hangs out with um, basically the Jazz players, you know, Malone and Stockton are there, and there's the, there's this rookie named Byron Russell saying, "Why'd you quit? You know, why'd you quit?" Basically, getting in his head, and that was one of the main reasons why Jordan came back. Jordan wanted to go back and play basketball. And so it's fitting that that Jordan was able to do such a great move on a guy that pissed him off so much and every single card fell right. And one of those cards being Russell, who literally fell when Jordan made that shot because it was so filthy. So three things you bring up there. So I'm going to be, it's a minute for me. So bear with me. Number one, the one you just brought up is that the Byron Russell thing preludes also 1997 game one. The game is tied in Chicago. Carl Malone in the mailman game, like where Scottie Pippen says the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays, misses two free throws, and then Jordan hits a game-winning jump shot over Byron Russell to steal that game. Like yeah. that was a Utah game ready to take, and this is the same year with the flu shot and with the Steve Kerr or the flu game and the Steve Kerr shot. So another big game there. Number two, in terms of the push off. I agree with you. And not only did you bring up excellent points, I'm not even going to like counter because it's true. But you also have to factor in, Jordan is tired as hell, plays 44 minutes this game, plays 45 minutes the game before, on his last legs, after doing everything on offense, shooting what's going to be like 50 times because it ends up being 15 free throws plus 42 shots. There's no way he has the energy. And underrated, this is the 98 finals. So this is a finals basketball game in the 90s. This game is aggressive, it is tough, it is physical. The refs aren't calling this little softy push-off with 10 seconds left to go in a finals game. It's just not going to happen. Nope. Nope, and just with how many people watching as well. It, it's it, And but back to your point, too, it's just too late into the game to make a call like that. You know, you, you, this, is, this is where you let them play. And, and then, that, that, that was the best part about this era. Those NBA referees... Let these guys play the game and dominate the way they did. And one last point that you bring up is that iconic picture. The picture of, like, Jordan shooting it over Russell with, like... And then the kid holding up the six in the back, in the, all the way in the back. Yeah. Uh, yeah here we go. Yeah, the six. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, and the, like, one of the only Bulls fans in the arena. There's that 12-year-old kid holding up the six in the air because he knew it was going in. Everyone knew it was going in. Yes, well, I'll stop you there. That's what I wanted to talk about is the Jazz fans because literally the shot's not even off his fingers and every Utah fan, it looks like they're going to see death. They're look, it looks like the Grim Reaper's about to come and just take away their family here. Because, like, literally, you see it, their mouths are jawed down. Like, it's an iconic photo because they have seen this for 15 years with MJ for countless playoff moments – here, I gotta add. So it was actually Jerry Sloan that coach, not George Carl. I, I, oh, you're fine. Really bad. It was Jerry Sloan. Excuse us um, for those who haven't listened so long. Carl was the one that coached the Sonics. Yeah, but but same. I still ninety three. Po- yeah, point hammered home though. Regardless, point hammered. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, so I'm just saying that that picture is like the most iconic NBA photo ever. The one of Jordan with the jump shot and the Jazz fans looking like we're doomed. That's it. That, that's the end of an era. The, the, Jordan not only won the sixth title, but closes Utah's title window. with the, and the It's the end of the Stockton Malone era. That is the closest they get back to the finals. They never make it back. Yeah, it's just... It was really the end for both Utah and Chicago. Yeah. I mean, it, 
everyone, Jordan retires again. Pippen goes to Houston. Rodman goes to San Antonio. I he, believe. Uh, he goes to Dallas, but like flames Dallas, out. Dallas, that's right. That's right. He was in San Antonio. Steve Kerr goes to San Antonio. Yeah. Wins four straight because the Spurs took down the Knicks in 99. Um, but talk about 98, 99. Let's get into these ratings. I mean, we've, we've, we dissected this game so much. You want to talk about the impact after? Oh, was, we, there was a there was a twenty two point three Nielsen rating for this game. Um, Thirty five point nine million viewers. Wow, highest rated, the most watched game in the history of the NBA, and seventy two million people in the United States watched at least a part of that game. And so it shattered a ten year record at the time. Game seven, eighty eight, Lakers Pistons. Which that one's a that's a rewatchable for sure. That like game seven. That, that's the. That's the cream shot, the cream uh, phantom foul. Yeah, just overall great game. And then, you, and then you take it into the. Um, That's insane. The most the, watched game in NBA history. I did not know that. I'm actually. I'm glad you brought up that fact. That is, it goes to show though the legacy of MJ, the legacy of that Bulls team, what they meant to the NBA, what they meant to yeah. NBA fans. It's 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 a game for sure. And then you go into '99. Um, everything just was downhill for the NBA. Jordan retires. Um, the NBA basically declines. It, it, um, the association's in a lockout. Um, the Spurs and the Knicks were playing each other in the finals. Who cares about the Spurs and a Ewingless Knicks? <laughs> it was it not was, me. Yeah. Not me. I'll tell you that. I mean, hey, it was the that was the worst watched finals, I believe. In NBA history, I was, let, me, let me see. Let me see real quick. Um, I don't. Yeah, I think it, it's it's one of the lowest for sure. Actually, two, I, it so, might. Yeah, yeah. So the two thousand three finals had even worse ratings with nine point eight. I'm trying to figure. Oh, that was out that was a bad one. That was that was Spurs uh, Nets. That was a, that right. was a that was a squad. <laughs> if there's there's a team called New Jersey, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Brook, yeah. Brooklyn, yes. New Jersey, no. Brooklyn, yes. I mean, hey, that was that was a good move. So good move. we have a couple categories for you here that I, I, I call – there are some awards. So I've got okay. some awards for this game. So the first award to give out, the Vinnie Johnson Microwave Spark Plug Award. So in other words, this award – this is going to the NBA player from this game who had the best bench performance. And I, it's, I think it's a queer winner. I think it's Dennis Rodman. Absolutely. I mean, he, he basically put himself into that position, not, not getting up. Playing in the first quarter, I believe the entire what was was the entirety of the first quarter or most. Of the first it was quarter? most of it. He comes in like with four minutes to go, yeah. and then plays like the rest of the game. Quite frankly, minus like yeah. a couple minutes. So, bingo! There's your six man award right there. Rodman was able to was able to hang with Malone as much as he could. Um, you know, create enough presence to keep Chicago in the game because after that run, like we mentioned. It, it's it's game on, you know. It's it's really simple as that. So I'm gonna go with Robin here, agreeing with you, Dom. The next award we have the Dante Jones uh, Bench Cheerleader Award. So this award is going to our best plays like 10 minutes to 15 or less. Uh, does a lot. I, do I go with Antoine Carr here because they mentioned his name a lot in the broadcast? Towel waving. He's got he's got the goofy glasses, bald look going. It, it, I think yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like those. I like those. This is your pick. I'm going Antoine Carr here. 
Romance on car, okay. Um, the next category, the Walt Frazier Underrated Finals Performance Award. So underrated performance from this game. I want to hear your thoughts on this because I've got a surprising pick here that I think you're not going to have. So I want to hear, who do you think had the most underrated performance from this game? Most underrated performance of this game? Yeah. Um, I want to say Malone. The- I really do, but it's really not underrated. This was Carl Carl Malone's cup of tea. 31, 11, and 7. Unreal. Gonna go with Kukoc though. Interesting. So the debate I had was Kukoc versus Pippen. I, I went with Scottie Pippen. Really? He, I like that. He plays in a bad back. We'll get into some fun facts in a bit, but he's got the best plus minus on both teams. And the Bulls were better when he was on the court. And it, 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 we can't underrate how hard it is to play basketball as it is, but with like a, no back at all, it's impossible. Like he can't bend down to get the ball. He can't dribble. Like you notice every time he has the ball, he never dribbles. It's either like a hook shot or like like a dump in the post, but it's never like a dribble. I, I and I agree with you. I do agree with you on the front. I don't think Malone can win this award. I don't think he's eligible because this is just what Malone does. But I, I've got Scotty for this award. But I've got we have a little disagreement here because Kukoc and Pippen were pretty valuable this game. They were, um, and, and you make a really good point with um, with Pippen. But it's just, I think my thing with uh, with Scotty is just like he he's there. You know, he knows you know he's going to make some sort of impact. Like Kukoc, you don't think that immediately. You know, he really really stepped up. That, that's why that's why I'm gonna go with Kukoc. Well, it's about it's a one real quick note before we move on to our next award. Kukoc also is the only other score outside of MJ in this game. Like Kukoc, yeah. he keeps him in. Normally that's Pippen. Yeah, so he, he he those are 14 huge points right there. Those are like insane. Yeah. Um, next award, the Scott Brooks Worst Coaching Decision Award. I think this is easy. I think this is Jerry Sloan not playing Stockton more and underratedly. Why are they not taking advantage of Scottie Pippen? If Scottie Pippen has a bad back, why are they not double-teaming on Scottie? Why are they not forcing him to shoot threes? Because remember, there's a couple plays where Scottie's at the top of the key and, like, they pump fake. Like, he pump fakes and they jump. Why are you jumping yeah. on a Scottie three? Are Let him jumping? shoot threes. I think I think this decision goes to the inability to take advantage of Scottie's bad back. Yeah, and I, and I think it's also – I'd go with that, but also not – we got to – give the close seconds some credit where you're not taking advantage of playing your main guys when when Chicago is doing the same. You know, you gotta you gotta create some sort of mismatch. You've gotta put more than just the cards that you put into the table in the first place right there and then because you I mean you don't you don't know what's gonna happen here. If you're fighting for your playoff lives, you're trailing, you already have the Delta Center behind you, you're going to have the Delta Center behind you if you get game seven. Just throw it in now and just hope for best in seven. And then then that's what Sloan didn't do. That's what Sloan did not do. The next award is ironically the Carl Malone Worst Clutch Performance Award. (laughs) I am giving it to Carl Malone. I I mean, yeah, you've got to have better awareness. Can I go on my one-minute rant of Carl Malone, how he? I think he was horrible this game? For him, for him putting up the 31, 11, and 7, don't get me wrong, his attitude in this game is horrible. Like, like laughing, like, joking around, like, with the little clapping thing after the Rodman thing. Like, you are down 3-2 in the finals. You've got MJ on the other side, who every time he sees it, it's like, I'm going to kill this kid. And right. you point out the ineptitude to not realize that you are going to be the main guy in offense. Some, you're going to get double teamed. 
And the unawareness in that moment, for as much as it's a great stats game, that that I can't excuse. I think it's a horrible clutch performance, and it's one of those, like, stats-wise looks great until you realize, like, oh, wait, this guy didn't realize how big of a moment this was. Because he never makes the NBA Finals again. It's horrible. I'm going Carl Malone here for the yeah. award. It's, it's unfortunate. I mean, it, why, why... Like... It's unreal. You know, I mean, you've, get, you've got to lock in in this moment knowing what happened the year before. Like, it, you don't want to... You don't want to go out in six again. <laughs> well, and the history of the Utah... All your cards, you got to put all your cards to the table, man. Simple as that. And to, and to quickly bounce off, the history of the Utah Jazz where they don't make the finals all of the 90s with Carmel or Stockton. So they, they only make it these two years out of, like, that whole decade. And to yeah. not capitalize on that's just crucial. Right. I mean, it's... It's, it's disappointing that Malone he lived he lived and learned hopefully he learned but wasn't able to get back to him. Such a great player, but was never able to prove himself again. But it happens. Great game in general, right? It, yeah, for sure. So the next category is the Carmelo Anthony weirdest mid game moment award. So the reason I bring this Carmelo Anthony, do you remember that game the the, the Instagram clip? It's Nuggets Thunder. And Melo, like, is posting up and falls down, and then they keep playing, like, back and forth. And, like, J.R. Smith, like, does the weird thing. And, like, Melo's still on the floor for, like, five minutes, and they don't, like, stop the game. You've seen it before, probably. So, we have three candidates right here. So, I I want you to pick one of the three. The Rodman jumper, the 20-foot jumper out of nowhere. The Rodman Malone tripping thing that happened in the third quarter. Or the two missed shot clock violation calls that kind of changed this game. It's easily, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, they, they, and they just kept going along with it. It's a it's a huge and one. That it's, it, that was that was the moment of the game right there. You you talked about the ten point swing. If they get those right, we get we get seven, not six. The Darko Milicic abomination of a performance award. I am giving oh. it to the two Scots on the team, Scott uh, Scott Foster and Scott Burrell. Uh, okay. Scott Foster in Utah, he plays like a couple minutes. Remember when he like dribbled the ball out of bounds like a couple times, like in like the second yeah. quarter, and then <laughs> Scott Burrell plays like ten minutes and it's like a minus like twelve. <laughs> yeah. I have it right here. He he plays ten minutes as a minus seventeen from the court. He he plays he plays ten minutes of basketball and goes minus seventeen in a finals game. Like it's a he's the winner for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just gotta give it to him. No no uh. No discussion there. Let's go to the next one. The Andre Drummond Decent Stats Terrible Impact Award. I am going with Jeff Jeff Hornacek. What were his stats in there again? So Hornacek in this game goes 36, 37 minutes, goes 17 points, 6 rebounds, and a steal. But, but he gets picked on on defense by MJ and Pippen this whole game. Outside of like one three pointer, provide like no spacing whatsoever, and I just think he wasn't doing enough on offense for the lack of defense. So I'm going him for the award. I, I think there's no other choice in terms of like big name player who struggled the most. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Jeff Hornacek. I agree. I 100 agree. We have two more awards. The Paul George Great Regular Season Miserable Postseason Performance Award. I am mm. go- I am gonna go with John Stockton. Yeah. Because at least Malone put up the numbers. Stockton, there's times in this game where he goes, like, missing in action. Like, remember when he, like, leaves midway through the, the first quarter and doesn't play for, like, like 15 minutes? It's insane. You know, it's – you just can't do that. 
Yeah, it's not not no. Last one's an easy one. The Michael Jordan Goat Performance Award. It's it's got to be MJ. <laughs> forty five. He dropped forty five points in his last basketball game until two thousand one. It's uh, it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> so we have actually. There's one more award. It's a special award, but I thought you would find this funny. So I call this the Joe Flacco, Jeff Green. Uh, holy crap, this guy's on this team award. So you know how, like, Joe Flacco these past couple years were like, oh, shit, he's still all in the league. This is where he belongs. Or, like, he's on this team. Yeah. And, like, Jeff Green, every year yeah. he's on a new team. So the award, you're never going to get this name, but uh, Jock Vaughn. Remember the Nets' former coach, Jock Vaughn? Yeah. So Jock Vaughn, weird-ass career, starts in Utah and plays, like, spot minutes, like, no more than, like, nine to, like, ten minutes a game. Stays in Utah until he plays one season in Atlanta, then in Orlando, then back in Atlanta, then in New Jersey for two years, and then plays three years and wins a title with the Spurs. Then, mm-hmm. after all of that shenanigans, coaches becomes an assistant coach for two years, then becomes the head coach in Orlando the first year Dwight Howard leaves. Right. Then, uh, and you want to guess his records, but if you, for me to bring him up, he went 20 and 62, 23 and 59, and a 15 oh, and 37. My. And yeah, then, now it's all coming back together. Just, well, then yeah. it, it ends off on this weird note because then he becomes an assistant coach in Brooklyn for four years and for a four and a half years. Kenny Atkinson gets fired the bubble year, the year that the Nets make the, the bubble. The Nets, yeah. go, the Nets go seven and three, though, with him as the coach. They go seven and three with that team. And then he becomes like their best assistant coach outside of Mike D'Antoni on this past season. So he's the yeah. winner of the holy crap, like what a career award. So I just thought that would yeah. be a fun, some fun humor. <laughs> I thought it was a good one, too. I, I, um, I'm in on that one as well. <laughs> um, a couple fun facts from this game that I thought you should uh, know because I think they're pretty baffling. Yeah. So there's this stat on basketball reference called game score. And basically it measures – it's a whole formula measuring the impact of a player in terms of statistics and efficiency. Yeah. So Michael Jordan for this game, do you want to guess what ranking – he played 179 playoff games. Do you want to guess where this ranked in terms of his game score? So in terms of statistical and efficiency, where it ranked well, among his games? Because this is a trick question with his, with his 45 points? So 45 points, inefficient, a couple rebounds, a couple assists, but – Remember, game scores like it measures points, assists, rebounds, turnovers, okay. efficiency. So, where do you think it ranks out of 179? Wow. Pretty low. It ranked 58th out of 179 games. Oh, oh, that's not bad. That's above average. So it's funny because I thought it would rank like 120th, but yeah, it's also why I like basketball to not take stats. I like taking stats with a grain of salt because I'd argue this is Michael Jordan's best game, and yeah. the stats say it's the 58th best game. So, just a quick, quick little fun note there. Yeah. Um, do you want to get Scottie Pippen had the highest plus minus in this game? I don't, I want to move on from that one. It was a plus 16 and 26 minutes. So pretty efficient. Interesting note here from minutes. Do you want to guess how many minutes Tony Kukoc played in this game? Minutes Kukoc played. Let's go 32. He played 42 minutes. Tony Kukoc played 42 minutes this game and you don't notice it. <laughs> you don't. The other one that was shocking to me is Scotty Pip or Scotty or John Stockton. Pardon me, plays thirty-one minutes this game, which is even more baffling. So weird minutes yeah. again from both these rosters. Um, do you want to guess the stat line for Luke Longley and Bill Weddington combined? Like combined, what their points, rebounds, and assists were? <laughs> Still with eight points, four rebounds, five assists. Here, here's their stat line combined. Combined stats for Luke Longley and Bill Weddington. 19 minutes, two, okay. po- two points, 
<laughs> the, the face started. We're just getting started. Two rebounds. Two rebounds. Five fouls. Two turnovers. And they were minus 14 from the field. <laughs> oh Unreal. God. Listen, I know people like the argument like Michael Jordan didn't have help or like the, he always had help. This is not help right here. The, the two points, two rebounds from your starting and backup center. What the hell? <laughs> Just can't have that. Um, Can't have that. One last stat line for you, and then I want to get to some final points before we end this up because I want to hear your opinions on these things. Final stat: Do you want? Here are the leaders in field goal attempts on Chicago's roster. Are you ready? Ready. Michael Jordan shoots thirty-five times, not including the fifteen free throws. Kukoc is next with fourteen shots. So there is a twenty-one shot difference between Michael Jordan and the next best guy. And then it's Scotty with seven shots, Harper with four, and Rodman with three. So in other words, Michael Jordan shoots more than his entire team combined. And beyond. And beyond. It's, it's a great performance. So I wanna, I've, I've talked for a minute, but I wanted to get your reactions to these awards. I want to hear your thoughts on a couple unanswerable questions from this game. Number one, big one. I think we're going to disagree on this one. If the Bulls lose this game, what happens in game seven? Do the, I don't think the Bulls win in game seven, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um. When would when would have game set? When would game seven have been? I think it's like day? not the next day, but the day after. So the standard, like every other day. It's a tough I think, question. I, I, I think Chicago pulls it off. I I, I think you give me the case for Utah real quick of why they of Chicago. Why do you think Chicago wins? Gets, gets an extra day to rest. Everyone just gets an extra day to rest. You okay. know, after the way they fought, um, I think Jordan has a little more fairy dust in him. It just still has that vibe that these guys can take it. You know, there's there's just no way it's going to end by the Bulls blowing a 3-1 lead. No way. So, Which is an interesting narrative, by the way, that we haven't talked about yet, that that could have actually happened. No. It, it could, we could have seen a blown 3-1 lead before we were even born. Can I make the case for Utah here? Because I think Utah is, okay. I think Utah is just fascinating. Utah... I think wins this game. Think about this. The Bulls win by one point, and here's what it took to win. Jordan going off for an incredible game, number one. Number two, all these fluke things that happened. Remember the two shot clock violations, a five-point swing, the Jordan steel layup jump shot sequence, the Scottie Pippen doesn't have a good back, Malone goes 30-11-6, and they still lose. I just think if you're at Utah at on the road again – in a, in a, it, with only one day's rest and, like, change. And Scottie Pippen still isn't healthy. MJ's now more tired because he's playing back-to-back games of 45 minutes. I just don't think MJ's capable. Not that I don't trust him because he's the GOAT, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he has the minutes to play 44 again with all that fatigue and all those miles on him. And now Utah, knowing that they're going to double-team him every time and force Scott Burrell and Scottie Pippen and Ron Harper to shoot 10 times a game. I don't see Chicago winning. I really don't. It's a tough sell. <laughs> we'll never know. It, it's a fascinating one. I, uh, two more things. Is the jump, the layup steal jump shot sequence that MJ does the greatest clutch perform, clutch moment in yes. NBA Finals history? It's, yeah. it's yes, right? Yes. 1,000%. I'm in total agreement yeah. with you there, yeah. Nothing else. You can talk about LeBron James' block. He had help with Kyrie to finish it off. That was Jordan, 
clapping back, Utah clapping back, Jordan again, Jordan, and then Jordan. There was LeBron and Kyrie. You see the difference here? There was there there was more than just one guy. For Michael Jordan, it was just him taking it by storm and finishing. He finished. A couple more answer, unanswerable questions here because I'm in total agreement here. This is the big one here. This is the one I think a lot of historians have trouble debating, especially like NBA fanatics out there. Bulls win in 98, breakup happens, flame out, MJ retires, blah, blah, blah. I want to I give you a couple minutes to kind of dissect this here. If the Bulls do not break up the core and they run it back for another year, 1999, do they win? Yes. Or do they flame? So give me the case for them, because I, I think there's a good case to either say they win or they don't. But I want to hear what your thoughts are for like why that you think they win. That team was already so good. It, it was already it was already the best in the East. I mean, it would have been harder to do so, but knowing what was there, more additions could have been added. People can realize, hey, this is greatness. I want to be a part of it. It gives you it, that team. I think would have had more depth would have learned from the past season that they need more depth and they would and I think they would have found it that off season. Um and they had the momentum. The the NBA ran its momentum off the Chicago Bulls. Why did they lock out after the ninety eight season? No one get no one cared. No one cared about basketball as much as they did in the nineties. In the earlier 90s so I think winning is like crack you just can't you just can't <laughs> stop you don't want to stop and with athletes understanding that I really I truly believe that they would have taken that would have, they would have won a seventh one I, I, I've had a doubt in my mind uh, the- if, Michael, if Michael Jordan's gonna say that they would have won seven they would have won seven believe that it's 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 a fascinating argument because i think my issue with the it's not even that i have an issue with it i think what there's two sides to this coin the case for is as you point out is that the bulls have the same core again so scotty pippen's healthy michael jordan is still michael jordan you can find a couple pieces to fit around the roster yeah on the flip side though here's the case against it you have three great teams in the East. You got my hometown heat with the Alonzo Morning, Tim Hardaway duo. They're first in the East. They win 60-something games. You've got the Knicks who end up making the finals, and they're a sneaky contender at the eighth seed. And you have the Indiana Pacers who are pretty good and who took them to a game seven and who got better. They got better in 99. Right. And I think the lockout I think the lockout still happens even after – if Bulls retire or not, I think the lockout still happens anyway because there was a really? CBA disagreement. It was a whole bunch of things. There was CBA problems, the Kevin Garnett contract, a whole bunch of things that made it effed up. My, my, I think it's so uncertain – that I can't leave it off the table saying yes, because with this Bulls dynasty, anything was possible. I think they could have done it too. I think it would have been improbable. I think there were better teams probably just because I think this would have been a case in which the Bulls are like the three seed and like coast in the regular season and kind of just like put more pressure in the playoffs. But it wasn't out of the cards to say they would win. I think what makes it weird is saying that they would have won four in a row in the 90s. Saying that they would have won four titles in a row. Remember, that nobody won three in a row since the Russell days. Even Magic and Bird never won three in a row. They made the finals multiple times, but they never won three in a row. Um, saying that they were going to win seven titles in nine years, with it being a 3 P and then a 4 P, 
I think that's what gives historians concern of like, it never happened. Why do we think it could? But then again, if anybody could do it, it'd be Michael Jordan. Right. Most definitely, you know, it's, it's, um, I wish I lived in the nineties. <laughs> I did too. I wish I grew up in a, there are so many people who got lucky growing up in like Chicago in like the nineties, like just watching like my favorites, like the concert, like the bulls were like the Beatles. They were not a basketball team. They were like this cultural icon for America and for the world. And I think when you just see the words MJ, you like any, anybody can put that together. to so say who that is. And it's just, they were a sight to see. Now, speaking of sight to see, I got a couple more questions for you. Number one, this is a big one. Is this game still iconic for Michael Jordan if things go better for Chicago? So what do I mean by that? Is this game still iconic if the factors that made it iconic weren't there? So, for instance, Pippen playing on a bad back. For instance, Michael Jordan having to do all of this stuff on offense because nobody else can score. For it being game six on the road in Utah with his legacy on the line and the last and the whole last dance thing. If none of that is there, is this game still iconic? Or could you argue that what made this game so fascinating and what made it so legacy-defining and what made it so improbable is that Michael Jordan won a sixth title with all of that happening in the, in the, for, in the far field? That second option. It's, it, this game, with, the, with how it started, if Pippen doesn't go down that back injury, Chicago wipes the floor with Utah. But all, with everything that went down, it could have just crashed and burned, but Michael Jordan really cemented his legacy. That that was where doesn't really matter what he did with Washington. I, it's I've never been a Washington MJ fan. I've never I've never liked that. It was over my head. That was the last piece of greatness we saw with Michael Jordan. Just amazing. So one last question for you, and this is, I think, a fascinating what if here. You, we mentioned it earlier. There could have been a universe in which Chicago blows a 3-1 lead in the finals with, with everything on the line. How would you think a historian, NBA-like fan would react? Like, what do you think would be better for a fan if we did the LeBron-Michael Jordan debate? That Jordan went 5-1 and in the finals but blew the 3-1 lead with a, against a worse team, or LeBron going, like, 3-6... and six, or I guess it's four and six now, but comes back down three one. Because I think if Jordan blows this three one lead, I think that makes his go case like hard to make. Just because that's that's a hard thing to swallow. That that against a Jazz team they had beat before, they go down, they go up three one, two home games or a, a home game and a ro- and two road games, and they lose all three. Like that's a that would be a tough one to kind of counter. It's a so fascinating debate. You're, what what are you you're asking me? Would How would historians his, react if on Jordan's resume he went five and one in the finals, but he was mm-hmm. down th- but he blew a three one lead? Um, I would say it's still better than LeBron than uh, LeBron's. You would okay, because, interesting, interesting. Because you think I mean whether he still went there six times. You can talk about guys going to the finals, going to to, to a championship and stuff like that, but. If you're not if if you're not winning at the big stage, what are you there for? You know, LeBron has won three NBA title, four NBA titles now. Yeah, four, four, and um, and, and how many how many has he been to? Nine, ten? It'll be ten, yeah. Or he's he been to the finals ten times. That's great. 
He hasn't won as many as Michael Jordan, though. Jordan was 6-0. and Can you imagine going undefeated? I mean, Tom Brady's the, is the greatest of all time. But just imagine, just imagine how great he would be if he, if he actually took down the Giants those whole times. And Michael Jordan never had to worry about that. His Giants were to Utah Jazz and basically played country music to the Jazz <laughs> all the way to, uh, to win six. You know, it, it's – if you're not winning, you're not in. Michael Jordan's in because he won six times. So one last topic for you, and then we're, we're going to wrap this pod up. The, up. the thing that's st- that stands out to this game to me the most when I rewatch it is the Jordan performance with all the context. I want to get your thoughts, like kind of your one-minute feel here. If you watch this game 10 years from now, in like a random Tuesday night, God knows what, what is the one thing that you're going to watch this game at and be like, that's what made this game good? That's what really made this game like... I can put this on at any time, a decade from now, tomorrow, and it'll still make this game just fascinating to rewatch over and over again. Um, the last three minutes. <laughs> I I mean, like I said, we I brought it up at the start. I watched that video every single day of that sequence. Just to tell my just to personally tell myself, hey, you can be independent and do great things on your own. Um, and Michael Jordan really did that in that last sequence of, of minutes of just plays. You you watch that and you want to run through a brick wall, like I said probably an hour ago. As simple as that. That's the best way to. That's the best way to end this. Well, Trey, we talked for over eighty minutes on this pod for arguably the best <laughs> basketball game ever. So. That's kind of where the range I wanted to. But with that said, thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, first episode for you is a fantastic one. Definitely want to have you on for more of these either sports talk episodes or at the very least just talking about uh, some of the NBA's best games of all time. So thank you for, uh, thank you for joining the pod. Hey, man. Of course. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks.